The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, guys? It's Harrison Phillips here, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellows on the Circle the Wagons podcast on Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills, baby. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this bi-week episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us on this week off. I hope you guys enjoyed all the football today, including the Dolphins losing to the Broncos and Tua getting benched in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick. (laughs) And Fitzpatrick ultimately throwing a pick in the end zone to end the game in spectacular Fitzmagic fashion. But for today's episode, we talked to John Scott of Spectrum News about several different Bills-related topics, including his thoughts on the Bills' Hail Mary ending, lost to the Cardinals last week, his thoughts on the drama and controversy surrounding Bills center Mitch Morris, the Bills' newest whipping boy over Twitter, Dawson Knox, and several other fun Bills topics. But let's get right into it with Spectrum News' John Scott. He is the sports anchor and reporter over at Spectrum News Buffalo. He is the host of the Spectrum News Blitz, which airs every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook and is part of the Buffalo End Zone on Sunday nights after the game on Spectrum Buffalo in Rochester. I'd like to welcome John Scott to the podcast. John, it is so good to talk to you. How are you? Good. How are you? I am doing excellent after the bye week. I mean, things could have been better. We could have gone... (laughs) It could have ended a little bit better going into the bye week, but here we are. Um, And that's actually where I want to start off asking you a couple of questions. Now, we all know that the the Bills-Cardinals game this past week ended in a Hail Mary at the last second. It was a very unlikely way to end an otherwise decent game for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. What did you think of that game in general? I thought they, uh, I mean, 
Arizona's a good team, um, and they're a team on the rise, similar to the Bills, led by a good young rising quarterback as well. And and I thought, I mean, the Bills, I think they deserve to win the game. Um, obviously, it, it took something uh, remarkable and, and uh, incredible, borderline unbelievable uh, for them not to win that game. Yes, I mean, you could point to they kick some field goals and, and things like that, but I think overall, like, when you look at their defensive performance, you're not going to stop a team like the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. Uh, but they did a really good job holding them to field goals, especially uh, in the instance after Corey Bajorquez shanked a punt about 12 yards and, and Arizona starting on the 30. Mm-hmm. They go three and out and are held to a field goal. I think that was really encouraging for the Bills' defense. They continue to to apply some pressure. Um, yes, the run defense is, is certainly uh, an area of concern and, and continues to be a part. As the defense, I think, as a whole has progressively gotten better, the run game and, and the run defense is, is still an issue, and it reared its head against a very, very good running football team in the Cardinals. Offensively, Josh Allen looked good for the most part. He... he Fought through what I thought was some inconsistencies, especially with his decision-making. Got away with a couple that should have been intercepted by Patrick Peterson, who ultimately on the third try got him. But what was encouraging for me was you saw that the Bills and the Bills offense can be very good and get it done at the end, even when Josh isn't at his all-time high of levels, like what we saw the week prior against Seattle where he's going for over 400 yards and and really carried the torch there. He wasn't perfect. He still was very good. They still should have won the game. And again, it took a miracle. So I thought the game as a whole uh, was an encouraging sign as we try to look at their schedule and their season as a whole to figure out truly what side of the coin of contender and where in the pecking order in the conference they are. I think that even in a defeat, the Bills look like a team that that is one of the better teams in the AFC and in the NFL. So you mentioned the Bills defense and how it seems to possibly be turning the corner. I mean, they they let up 34 points against the Seahawks a week before and 32 points to the Cardinals. But I would agree that it, it looks like and it feels like they're finally starting to get pressure. And like you said, holding teams to field goals at points or at times as opposed to touchdowns. Is this something that you think that we can see continuing after the bye week? Or do you think maybe it was just a couple of weeks of good coaching and we'll see where it goes from there? I think they're only going to get better in part because they're only going to get healthier. You would imagine they're doing this with no Matt Milano. They did it last week with their number two and number three cornerbacks out. Cam Lewis was out. So there's your fourth string cornerback. He was out. So you're throwing seventh round rookie Dane Jackson out there. He right early in the game made a phenomenal play one-on-one in the end zone against DeAndre Hopkins. So you've had some injuries up front. Tremaine Edmonds has been someone widely talked about uh, in in relation to how much his shoulder injury suffered early in the year has contributed to him maybe not flashing as much and being more inconsistent than we've seen in the past. So I think if you just look at it 
in one level of injuries and getting healthier, I think the bye week will help them. Another thing is they were searching for their identity as a defense the early portion of the season. They had a lot of new pieces on the defensive front, and while everything else was for the most part uh, back and fully intact, they were integrating some new pieces, and without the traditional off-season program and training camp, I think they still were trying to figure out best combinations and things like that. And ultimately, they stumbled upon their identity is to be an aggressive, blitzing, attacking-style defense that relies on taking the football away. And if you can't, which we saw repeatedly early in the season, if you can't produce pressure with just your front four, then you're going to have to bring some extra bodies. And I think the strength of the Bills' defense is their secondary. And you can lean on them, put them out on an island more so, and trust that they'll be okay when you're bringing other guys. A.J. Klein has flashed the past two weeks. His best role appears to be when they're blitzing him and he's being a downhill rusher. I think that is what they were searching for. I think they have found it, even though the points have been still up there. That's kind of what it is around the league. Uh, So I think you kind of have to look at defensive performances a little differently this season as opposed to others where the Bills were under 300 yards of total offense and ranking top three in the NFL. I expect this defense to continue to be aggressive, and I expect them to continue to really emphasize and and lean heavily on taking the football away, and uh, hopefully that will continue them to trend in the right direction. They're not going to be a top-five defense. Just Clearly, that's not what this unit is but they have the talent. They have a lot of the guys that were part of that. And I think with the way the offense has improved, they don't need to be that elite top five defense. If they can continue to range towards the middle of the pack creep, maybe into the upper third of the league, then I think that's what they need to do to complement the strides the offense has made. Okay, great. Well, the Bills have some winnable games and some tough games coming up against the Chargers, the 49ers, the Steelers, the Broncos, the Patriots, and and possibly an AFC East, you know, division uh, uh, rivalry between the Dolphins and the Bills, maybe potentially to win the division in Week 17. Um, when all is said and done at the end of the 2020 regular season, do you think the Bills look at that Cardinals loss and think, what if? Or do you think that it's an NFC game, it didn't really matter? In the end, the Bills, the Bills will probably be okay. I think they'll be okay. They will, of course, worry about the what-ifs, and it's more so in regards, I think, to seeding. But because only one team gets a bye, I don't think the effects of it will be felt as much because even if they win that game, they're 8-2. and two. Yes, they have a chance to play the Steelers. They'd still have to leapfrog the Steelers and the Chiefs, who they already lost to. So they're two games behind both of those teams. I, I think the odds of them getting the number one seed and getting a bye were very, very long, win or lose against the Cardinals. Then you look at the Dolphins, while they're hot on their tails, six and three, Bills are seven and three, potentially there could be a tie because the Bills won, then they automatically split the head to head. Then they automatically, at four and oh in the division, are going to win out the tiebreaker. Uh, of the division unless they lose to New England and Miami and then so if Miami you know if they beat the the Patriots 
then the tiebreaker of the divisional record would go to the Bills if they happen to tie. So in theory, then the Bills would have an have an extra game up on the Dolphins. So I I think of course there's going to be some what ifs, but I ultimately feel that Miami has some tough games ahead. The Bills you assume they're probably going to get to 11 wins at least, 11, 12 wins. Uh, I think that ultimately you'll think about it, but it's not going to be something that's that's really going to swing things one way or the other uh, once we hit the end of the season. So I got to ask you about Mitch Morris, the Bills center. I know you, uh, you know, you're usually at the at the press conferences with Sean McDermott, and this week he was asked several times by the media about about his starting center, Mitch Morse, or what used to be a starting center, Mitch Morse. In your opinion, was it odd that he was healthy and didn't play Sunday? And do you think the Bills were just being safe with a player coming back from a concussion with his concussion history, or do you think something is going on behind closed doors that we are, you know, maybe a little unaware of? I think it's a little bit of both. I think Morse has a serious history with concussions. And while he was clear through the protocol, I th- and maybe he's dealing with something else, I think maybe they felt comfortable enough with how they saw the offensive line perform against Seattle. I do know they like Ike Bucker. So maybe they were thinking, all right, we can carry the momentum from the Seattle game We'll give Mitch an extra week. Plus, we have the bye week. We hit the ground, the, the, hit the ground running back on the back end of our schedule. I, I also think that Mitch, and I'm not a guy who dives into the film and, and knows how to evaluate offensive linemen. Most of the time, you only notice offensive linemen, or at least I do, when they do something wrong. Either yep. they get blown up or they have a penalty or something like that. Yeah. But I don't think Mitch Morse has been some Pro Bowl level center that he's getting paid ten million dollars to be. And and I think there are, are some parts of the offensive line that maybe the interior offensive line to be specific, because I think Deion Dawkins and, and Daryl Williams have played well. I think the interior, you know, has had some some moments and Morse is is in that grouping as well. I don't look at it as at it as like let's press the panic button that the Bills, you know, have an issue at center here. But I, I do think it also may have to do with Feliciano. Maybe they didn't want to, you know, they wanted him to get, you know, a full week at center. Uh, you know, there's there's a variety of reasons. I will say this. If we come out of the bye week and Mitch Morse is not seen getting first team reps in practice and ultimately if he does not play out of the bye week, that's going to really raise the alarm here because then you would be looking at a $10 million center that you are no longer playing on the heels of cutting your starting guard, left guard from a year ago, who you re-signed for $5 million a year on a multi-year deal. It would make you wonder evaluation-wise and just progression-wise what would happen on that offensive line that would allow you to have two of your most stalwart guys from a year ago in a vastly improved unit, not even be in the, the folds and you're replacing them with guys like Ike Bucker and Brian Winters and, and guys like that. So I think it's a little bit of both. Maybe they were protecting him. Maybe they just were rolling with what they saw in Seattle. But if we come out of the bye week and Mitch Morse is not playing, 
it's it's going to be a a massive storyline and it is interesting while it is a Sean McDermott staple but when he was asked about Mitch Morse and if he was the starter moving forward he did not definitively say yes i know that's how Sean McDermott handles a lot of things but again i would like if Josh Allen gets hurt and he comes back he Sean would definitively say Josh Allen is starting. There are guys he would definitively say that about and has in the past. For him not to say it about Morse does have me uh, pause a bit. Okay. Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes out for that uh, in this upcoming week after the bias about practice reports. Um, Dawson Knox, the Bills tight end, has become a whipping boy as of late in Bills Twitter. Um, It's only a second season, but to me, he may be gifted physically, but has failed to show his skills on the field consistently. I mean, at least as of now, as of this, you know, part of his career. It appears to me he's very he's very far behind a veteran like Tyler Croft when Croft is healthy, and he definitely lacks consistency. Is that how you view Dawson Knox's progress as well? Or are you more optimistic than I am right now at this point? I think it's a pretty good evaluation. He has the athletic tools. He was inconsistent catching the football last year. I asked him about it before the season even started. He said he really focused on hitting the jugs machine and ensuring up his hands, saying a lot of it had to do with concentration or lack thereof of, of keeping concentration through the catch because we've seen moments where he makes sensational catches, and obviously we understand how gifted he is after the catch and his ability to throw guys around and, and stiff arm and whatnot. One thing to take into account, now in the NFL, you have to do this for a third-round pick, and you shouldn't, there's not a lot of shelf life. Patience is not necessarily a virtue in the NFL. But Dawson Knox was a quarterback in high school. He was a quarterback up until he got hurt his senior year of high school. And in turn, there were some schools that were looking at him to play quarterback more on the lower level. But there are also schools that were, you know, thinking of converting him. So he redshirted his first year at Old Miss and was learning how to play tight end. And then we all know he wasn't heavily involved as a tight end at Old Miss because he had guys like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown on his team. Uh, Evan Ingram was a guy that was in front of him. So they had a lot of weapons. He didn't catch a touchdown pass, but last year was his first touchdown pass that he'd caught since high school, where he played a little bit of wide receiver, but he he ultimately was a quarterback. So when you look at the development of the player, maybe you could understand why he isn't as consistent because he hasn't been doing it as long as some of these other guys. That being said, he's a third-round pick. He's in the NFL, and there are guys that have played basketball and made transitions from other positions that are far more consistent than him. We'll see how he is these final few games. Obviously, he has a couple more years left on his contract, but it would not surprise me with Tyler Croft coming off the books next year, with Lee Smith coming off the books next year, if the Bills are in the market for a tight end, regardless of what Dawson Knox does. But if they decide to maybe bring Croft back and they bring in someone else, they like Reggie Gilliam, who knows about Tommy Sweeney, Dawson Knox could be on the chopping block when we're talking about training camp a year from now. Wow. So, I mean, now that we're talking about potential positional needs, if you had to pick one position that you could upgrade right now after the bye week, 
what position on the Bills roster would that be? Offensively or defensively? I would say a one technique defensive tackle. And that's what I was really hoping. And maybe they tried it and there just wasn't anything available at the trade deadline. But we're all understanding, and it's been brought up before, how actually important Star Latulale is to this defense than what anyone imagined when they were complaining about a guy when you look at his stat line and then you look at how much money he's making and not seeing those two add up. But what we're finding, and, and I've asked Leslie Frazier this, is what that position, what the role Star Latulale does for everything else is, let's say you have Harrison Phillips in there now, or Vernon Butler, or even Ed Oliver. They're not guys that are consuming two, two blockers or can hold two blockers the way that, that Star could, and he was just so good at that. And what that does is that frees things up for the other guys in the defensive line, as well as when we talk about inconsistencies and some struggles by Tremaine Edmonds, is that frees up Tremaine to hit some holes and make more plays as well. And then, of course, if those guys are coming up, it's just a trickle-down effect all the way to the back as well. So when you look at their struggles against the run, I think Starr was someone who was pretty vital to their ability of stopping the run, which they even struggled uh, at doing when Starr was in there. And also, when Starr's there, then Harrison Phillips isn't being asked to do as much. And again, guys are kind of slotted more in their roles that they're better suited for. So, so I feel like if you could instantly either bring Star back or bring a player like Star as the one technique, a space eater, a guy that just can can consume two offensive linemen at all times and allow everything else to free up for the rest of his guys, I think that would really be a dynamic swing for this Bills defense. Obviously, that's not going to happen, and they've been going back and forth between Vernon Butler and Ed Oliver. And Harrison Phillips sometimes, if he's active, has been someone as well. Uh, they've been searching for that replacement for Star. They have not found it. I, it. I don't think they're going to find it to the the level of Star. And so they're just going to have to kind of navigate their way schematically of trying to free guys up, which is where I think the the blitzing more than they usually do has come into play. So the Bills are seven and three going into this bye week. Is that about where you had them pegged going into the season, or have they exceeded expectations? Um, I think record-wise, it's it's close. You know, it's close to what I think I, I myself and even other people did. Um, but they are a different team than I expected. I, I expected the defense to be better, and I didn't expect Josh to take a leap forward and this offense completely flip on its head from a run first style to we don't even really want to run the ball at all ever unless we're really up or, or, you know, they want to run it very, very little. And Josh Allen's progress has supported that shift in philosophies with the Bills offense, which is refreshing. So record wise, they're, I would say they're, they're about, what what I expected them to be at this point in the season, but how they've done it and the makeup of their team is not what I expected. But I think it it is incredibly interesting and and something that is shifted more towards modern successful teams here in the NFL. So long term, 
while you certainly would like the defense to be better, I, I think it is far more encouraging that you see Josh Allen on pace for well over 4,000 yards passing, this team really <laughs> neglecting the run and understanding that maybe you can focus on the defense more next offseason to try to get them back closer to where they are. But, I mean, even you look at the, the most recent, uh, recent teams that have won the Super Bowl, they're not some defensive stalwarts here. They rely on their offense and hope to get a defense that can uh, be good enough to, to hold the opposing team uh, and the victory. Well, it is nice to have a team for once. It feels like it's in the modern era of football in the passing game, for sure. I will agree with that 100%. You know, this has been a lot of fun, John. Where can people find you and your work? Well, it's interesting. My Twitter is at JohnScottTV, J-O-N-S-C-O-T-T-T-V. However, I currently have been on hiatus for a couple of weeks because I got a virus on my account and have not been able to access this. So if you follow me, I encourage you to, I will be back at some point. It's actually been pretty widespread. I know like Eric Wood has also been dealing with it and some other, uh, other people. Uh, so I'm not alone in the struggle here, but, uh, John Scott TV on Twitter is will where you will eventually find me. Uh, also if you search John Scott TV on Facebook, uh, I'm on there as well. And uh, yeah, once we're out of the bye week, uh, you'll see me back on uh, Spectrum News in Buffalo and Rochester. That's awesome. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk bills with us. It was a pleasure. Glad we could finally make this thing work. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again about the bills sometime in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. After that, we're going to do some podcast giveaways. So stick around. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Thanks again to John Scott for coming on to talk bills with us on his week off. Unfortunately, there's not much Buffalonians can do right now with them being put into an orange zone and schools and businesses closing rapidly in an attempt to stop the spread of COVID-19. And speaking of COVID-19, or at least a player that has tested positive for it already this season, Dawson Knox. Now, I mentioned earlier that he's one of the favorite whipping boys on Bill's Twitter as of late, and I've always been cautiously hopeful for Dawson Knox. The reality is 
if you've listened to our podcast at any point in the past couple of years, you know my stance on tight ends and that they are one of the positions that takes the longest to develop coming from the college to the NFL. In a lot of instances, unless you have a freak like George Kittle, it takes tight ends three to four years to fully develop and and acclimate to the NFL, if they're if they're ever even going to fully develop or acclimate. We had Joe Biscalia on before training camp, and Joe B was was he was extremely optimistic in what he saw on tape from Knox. And after our conversation, I was all on board with him and saying, let's see what this kid can do in his second season. But now I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Instead of leaning more towards let's see where he develops, I'm starting to lean towards, I'm not sure he's going to make it, and he's got to prove himself to me and other Bills fans that he can even be a consistent backup tight end before we even discuss him being a tight end one. So between the dropped passes, which haven't gotten markedly better this season after leading the NFL in dropped passes by tight ends last season, his missed blocking assignments. Do you guys all remember that one he missed in the playoff game against Houston last season where uh, a linebacker got through and completely leveled Josh Allen on a designed run when there were three blockers in front of him? And, you know, all those things. And now he's adding in penalties to the mix. And I, I don't know. With Tyler Croft being on an expiring contract and who knows what we have in former seventh round tight end Tommy Sweeney, an undrafted fullback turned tight end Reggie Gilliam, I'm thinking tight end is seriously a bigger need than we think. We should probably look at free agency to address it this offseason if we have cap space to do so. And, you know, as you know, we'll be discussing it this offseason. But before I end the show, I wanted to do a few giveaways. So last week I got, I forgot to do the giveaways on the podcast for a couple of DraftKings polo shirt giveaways. So Coach Helwig and Mojo Riverfish won those. So please message me over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email us, ctwpod at gmail.com, wherever you can to let me know that you listened and that you won, and we'll ship them over to you. So that was for Coach Helwig and Mojo Riverfish. All those polo shirts and items are courtesy of our friends over at the DraftKings Sportsbook at Delago. We are also partner partnering with them for a Bruce Smith jersey giveaway. This is a Twitter contest only. So find us over on Twitter at CTWPod, like Circling the Wagons Pod, and you'll see the tweet pinned to the top. Just follow us, follow the Delago Resort and Casino, retweet the post, like it, and you're automatically entered. If you look in the tweet thread, you can find our interview with Hall of Famer Bruce Smith, which the folks over at the DraftKings Sportsbook at Delago were kind enough to allow us to do. I just listened to it again the other day, and uh, it was just as fun listening back a year later as it was to do it then. So now we are going to give away a signed Harrison Phillips helmet and a signed jersey. The winners of the contest this week are Pito Bolsa. That's Pito Bolsa, P-I-T-O-B-O-L-S-A. And... Raw Lax 211. That's Raw Lax 211. Whoever gets to me quicker, the first person that gets back to me, gets their choice of which item they want, the helmet or the jersey. I'll be sending these items out and the other items that past winners have won this week before Thanksgiving. If you're wondering how you can get in on any of these giveaways that we do each week, please just leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Mention CTW or Circling the Wagons just anywhere in the review, and you're automatically entered each week. 
So thanks so much to John Scott for coming on the podcast to talk bills. Follow him on Twitter at John Scott TV and look for all of his work on Spectrum News in Buffalo and Rochester. So for me, Nate, go Bills. Enjoy your Thanksgiving this week safely, and we'll talk to you after the Bills Charger game next week. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>